welcome to the Point of Impact podcast with Rick McDaniel. Thanks for joining us today. Get ready to be inspired and motivated to live a high-impact life. Now, here's Rick. Welcome to another episode of the Point of Impact podcast. I'm Rick McDaniel, and it's great to have you joining with us today. And I have with me uh, Mark Rutland. Now, you may have heard me talk about the Your Comeback event already on some of the previous episodes, and I'll be talking more about it in the days to come. But Mark is the speaker along with myself, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could have Mark join us today and talk a little bit about comebacks? So, Mark, welcome. Thank you, Rick. Delighted to be here and delighted to be in beautiful Richmond. <laughs> yes, we're, we're uh, recording here in Richmond today. And so, Mark wrote a book called Relaunch, How to Stage an Organizational Comeback. So he is an expert in organizational comebacks. I wrote a book, Turn Your Setbacks into Comebacks. I'm an expert in personal comebacks. And so the Your Comeback event, which is a live event, by the way, live event. If you haven't been to a live event, you have an opportunity to go to a live event in Atlanta, Georgia on Saturday, June the 26th. So not that far away, you can go to yourcomebackevent.com, yourcomebackevent.com to register and get all the information. So what Mark and I are going to do is I'm going to speak on personal comebacks. He's going to speak on organizational comebacks. I'm going to talk about how you can have a comeback in, in, your, in your personal life involving all the aspects that, that may be relationships, maybe your finances. Uh, it just may be your own mental well-being and health as you move forward. Mark's going to talk about uh, churches, ministries, businesses, whatever it is, the principles that are involved there. So you might say, well, you know, what is it about Mark that caused him to write this book? And how did he become this expert in, in organizational comebacks? And so uh, that's why I wanted to have Mark with us today, because... Uh, we could spend hours. He has so many great stories. I've sat down with him uh, many times, and I'd love to hear his stories. He always has great stories. Just told me a, a new one I hadn't heard uh, from him the last time we talked. But he's going to share at least some of the stories, give you a little taste of what you could hear for a whole day, because the your comeback uh, conference is a one-day event. Starts at 9, ends at 5, so it's one day. So... Uh, Again, Saturday, June 26th. So let me just begin by saying, Mark, you got three different times that you had major comeback experiences and where you led a comeback. So walk us through the first one. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How you, you look back on your life and you realize there's a pattern when you're going through it. I, I didn't think about myself as going from one comeback to the next to the next in fact, what you just said is something about being a comeback expert. I never thought of myself that way, but somebody introduced me that way at a banquet one time where I was speaking, and I thought, is that what I am? <laughs> so I thought an expert was just somebody from out of town with a briefcase. Right, right. But the three were, the first was a Calvary Church in Orlando. It was a mega church, one of the a huge independent non-denominational churches on the East Coast in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, massive. It was so huge, Rick, that Charisma Magazine was actually the newsletter of Calvary Church. Wow. wow. And, and when Calvary Church went bankrupt, Steve Strang bought the mailing list and turned it into the Charisma publishing industry. That he owns the Charisma books, everything came yes. from the newsletter of Calvary Church. Right, and for those of you who don't know, Charisma that that empire, media empire, would be uh, 
would be Charisma House Publishing, the books, Charisma Magazine, the uh, Ministries Today, which is now called Ministry Lead. Ministry Lead, the Relevant, the Relevant Magazine. Kind and Relevant is a sister organization. Okay, sister comes out, of, at least comes out of that. I think Steve's son is the one that started right. that. So it's a big deal to have started in a local church. Wow. So that's how big it was. And then there was a massive, frankly, a massive sexual scandal. High profile, front page. One of the first big things like that. And it just, it blew the church up to smithereens. And then there was, in the next pastor that came, there was no scandal, not not a, like a financial scandal, but a, it just um, was financial mismanagement. Okay. It just ran into bankruptcy. They way overbuilt, uh, extravagant building. Yeah, tell us a little bit, because some people may have driven by and may have been in Disney World on Interstate 4 and seen yeah. this massive structure. Just yeah, tell us a little bit about right it. It's right on I-4 in Winter Park. Um, massive uh, glass building. It's huge. Calvary Church in Orlando, in uh, Winter Park, technically. With an escalator to the auditorium, as I recall. Yeah, twin escalators going up. Uh, it was it was really extravagant, and it was built in uh, it was built in 1981. So when I say a 21 million dollar building, it may not even sound huge to a lot of people today. But remember, 1981, a 21 million dollar building. Was, was pretty stunning. Yes, yes. And what happened was they got upside down in their debt. They couldn't handle it. The, the bank threatened to foreclose if the pastor didn't resign. And so they lost hundreds more people. The pastor left. And I was the associate pastor at Mount Perrin in Atlanta, Georgia, hugely successful, wonderfully solvent under a genius leader, Dr. Paul Walker, and they called me to come from that to, to be at Calvary. And so I took over. It was, it was absolutely bankrupt. We were 120 days behind the vendors the day I walked on the campus. Wow. Several hundred people in a 5,000-seat auditorium. And everybody, all my friends told me, it's finished. It's absolutely finished. But there was just something, Rick. I, I don't know if it was... Uh, the sense of adventure. I don't, I don't know what it was. I'm always reluctant to blame things on God, <laughs> but I really just couldn't, I just couldn't seem to tell him no. And I went there and God gave us a straight out miracle. Okay. So again, we'll come to the conference and you'll hear more stories and more about it, but uh, tell us a little bit. I mean, again, it's a story that could, could go on for hours. Tell us a little bit about how you take a church that's, you know, 5,000 seats that has hundreds of people instead of thousands. That is 120 days behind on their, their bills. How do you take that and, and, and turn it around and create this uh, amazing comeback? How do you do it? Well, the first thing was the challenge of, of reality in the, in the church. The, the previous administration had been very strong on uh, faith. They said if if you told if you gave a negative financial report, it was a lack of faith. So everybody in the church thought everything was going great. They kept just hearing a, wow. a faith report. But uh, I, I know this is not a theology discussion, but in my view, faith and denial are not the same thing. No, two and two is four, and you can't confess it to be eight. It's just four. <laughs> And two minus two is zero, and that's where it was. <laughs> and, and that's where it was. Right. 
So the first real major challenge was actually bringing everybody onto the same page of institutional reality. I had to educate everyone, and it was a shock, Rick. I mean, because they, they, had, they didn't know it. And um, we, we were within days of losing that building. My first meeting was with the bank. Wow. And they threatened to foreclose before I ever could even become the pastor. It was a, it was a by the skin of our teeth kind of a thing. So you have to tell the people that without panicking anybody. Yeah, that's not easy to do. It, it wasn't easy. It was, it was a very sobering night. You have to assemble some troops to fight with you. I got members of the board of the bank to come and stand with me in the auditorium, all the members of the board of the church. We had slides, information, data, and you have to approach it calmly, okay? Like a battlefield surgeon, okay? You got four bullets in your liver, but I can save you. Okay. And that's where you have to go. So you're talking really about facing reality. Facing reality. You have to face reality. And so let's just look at our pandemic here. And we got to face the reality of this pandemic and what it's done, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's hurt businesses. It's hurt churches. It's hurt ministries. It's hurt organizations. And to pretend that it hasn't is, is, is not going to get you to come back. Is that what you're saying, Mark? Yeah, that's exactly right. And if you act like you don't know what's happening, your, your people all know what's happening. They're, they're, they're dealing with it on a day-to-day basis, on an hour-to-hour basis. Some of them are out of work. Some of them are staying home from work. The schools are closed, et cetera, et cetera, depending on where you live. I don't know who else listening to this. But depending on where you live, your people all know they're facing an international global crisis. Right. And if the leader of the organization acts like, sends the signal he doesn't know what's going on, he doesn't inspire confidence, he actually shakes confidence. Yes. So you, what you have to do, what one has to do is say, I know what's happening. This is clear. I'm, on the, I'm facing this. We're not skating around the pond. I know exactly how thin the ice is. All right. But... But God is with us. Yes, and God I is with us. So then, what? Then, then, okay. Now, what did you do after you got the people to realize the situation and what it really was all about? Yeah. the The next thing you have to do is immediately present a plan. You have to follow institutional reality with with a realistic and achievable plan. Steps that can steps that can make sense. You can't announce we're going to have five thousand people in church next Sunday. That just follows unreality with unreality. Okay. So you just have to say, we can grow this. In a year, I think we'll be here. In two years, we'll be there. In three years, we'll be there. We're going to start to pay this debt off. And uh, and you just start step by step. The third thing is, and this is probably the, this is the thing that's the hardest to teach. You can talk about it, but you have to be able to inspire confidence. You have to, your people in a crisis they have to have that feeling when you walk in the room, okay, daddy's home. Okay. You know, the, it, I'm not trying to talk, turn this into a political thing, but the Ronald Reagan thing. When Ronald Reagan walked in the room, even, even you, if you hated his politics, everybody just kind of said, everything is going to be okay, Ronnie's here. Okay. And you have, that has to emanate out of you. All right. And uh, then you can go in your office and fall in the middle, of, <laughs> yes. fall on the floor, and yeah. cry out in panic. Right, but you you can't let them see you, you sweat. Yeah, you can't let them see you sweat. You got to present that image of confidence 
and and the fact that you know you're in control and you know what's going on even so now again because we want to talk a little bit about the other two comeback stories so just take us from we know how bad it was and then tell us how good it became and what the comeback result what, what it was yeah when I left Southeast when I when I left the uh, Goodlands when I left Calvary to go to Southeastern and then Southeastern to go to ORU when I left Calvary we were 3,700 people in the auditorium. So that's not 5,000, but it's also not empty. Right. Um, huge, we, huge growth. It was huge growth. In how many years? Five and a half years. Five and a half years. Wow. Yeah. wow. And uh, we paid off, we, we got current on the debt. Okay. We paid off more than a million dollars a year every year on the principal in addition to making every payment. So we, we never got behind on a payment. We made every payment. And we paid off a million and to a million and a half every year on the principal. So that's a that's a pretty amazing comeback. I mean, that is, in in five and a half years, that is a remarkable, remarkable comeback by any way that you could measure comebacks. When I left uh, when I left Orlando, the last meeting of the of the Orange County Chamber of Commerce, the chairman of the Chamber of Commerce said, in his entire business career, the greatest business turnaround he'd ever seen was Calvary Church. Wow. Wow. From a business. Yeah. It was yeah. really, really a, a rewarding to me yes. to hear that. Yes, that is. That is a humongous compliment, especially when some businessmen don't even really respect pastors uh, all that much. And, 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 and some have reasons for, for like the silliness <laughs> that got Calvary into what they got into. So, so then you decide, hey, uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. I, uh, I want to take on another gigantic challenge, and that would be a Southeastern College. So just tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, Southeastern College was the, a, a serious challenge, but the challenge was different. And that is what makes turnaround leadership so exciting and challenging is that Every turnaround has different problems and therefore has different solutions. Mm -hmm. So Southeastern had no debt. They also had no money. <laughs> they, had, they had just let it decay. The buildings were just decaying. It was awful, awful, Rick. Uh, we had students come my first semester there, register online, come show up, go see their dorm room and check out and go home, go back to Ohio. Whoa! It was it was just a, a wreck. The buildings. I always say the buildings were decorated in early Auschwitz. <laughs> it, it was awful. Wow! So just just uh, things were just uh, like not maintained. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They had just let it run down. The previous administration, whereas the administration I followed at Calvary, operated on the field of dreams. Build it, and they will come. So they overbuilt, got extended, got in debt, and it collapsed on them. The administration in Southeastern believed the only variable in growth was price. So they just kept dropping the price because enrollment was sliding. So they dropped the price. But when enrollment slid anyway, you have fewer people paying less. Wow. So it, that's a bad that's a bad one. Fewer people paying less. Yeah, it turned it into Kmart University. Yes. So then they couldn't even fix the windows. The sidewalks were cracked, the buildings were falling down, leaking. Uh, we had uh, vermin in the dorms. Wow. It was it was awful. Wow. So the issue there was almost exactly the opposite of Calvary. Yes. And so we had to take a whole different approach. Okay. So what was that approach? Well, that approach there was the 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 valves had all rusted shut. 
So I, I knew that I knew that it could go, but we had to turn it. We had to show some kind of progress. So actually, there we borrowed money. I convinced the board to borrow three and a half million dollars to build the first new dorm, and we built small and excellent. And then we filled that dorm, so we were now able to charge more. So we leapfrogged because of the profit from that dorm. We leapfrogged, built the second one, then the third one. So we had self-amortizing debt. Okay. Now that that's fantastic. But the leader in me has a giant question, which is that little, just almost, oh, by the way, comment, we filled the dorm. <laughs> it's one thing to, you know, build something, then that fills and we can build another. But how did you increase enrollment? Yeah, uh, that's there's always this mystery element, isn't there? I mean, and sure. when you talk about something like this, it can sound pat, but... The bottom line is there's no substitute for absolute hard work. I hired a new enrollment management director, a terrific young guy. I hired him away from Wheaton University, brought him down. We set about to to build. I just hit the road. I spoke in every college, every uh, council, every conference. He was the president of the college recruiting students. Uh, I met with student groups that came in their buses to tour the campus. I was leading student tours on the campus. The president of the university. President of the college, wow. exactly. We began to cast the vision of a university moving to university status. We began to build. In, I was there 10 and a half years. We built $65 million worth of buildings. And when I left, uh, it was larger than ORU. It, 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 that was actually the most explosive turnaround I was ever in. It really, it really happened there. There's just simply no substitute for the energetic, personal imposition of executive leadership. You, you have to be in it. You have to show them energy. You have to show them work. So I just dived in. So um, in, in the sports world, we call it effort. You know, there's no, you can't replace effort. There's just nothing that replaces effort. And uh, I'm a New Englander, and the, and the Bruins won a hockey playoff hockey game recently. The guy simply out hustled, got to the puck, and the goalie had left the box to get the puck, and he just out hustled him and kind of whipped it in in the corner of the net and won the game. And now the series is three one. And to me, it all turned on that hustle play. So there, hustle and effort, you just can't replace that, no matter what you do. So to uh, those in leadership, in organizations, churches, businesses, and here we are, you know, coming out of this pandemic, what you're saying to them is that uh, you are really going to have to hustle. You are really going to have to work. You are really going to have to give it your all and expend a lot of energy. The only thing more difficult and demanding than a startup is a turnaround. At least with a startup, you're not correcting the stupid mistakes that you're following. Yes. You, you get to make your own stupid mistakes. Yes. <laughs> but with a, with a turnaround, you're cleaning the mess up while you're exerting the effort that's basically the effort of a startup. So it, it's just not a nine-to-five operation. The work ethic that you bring to a turnaround is a huge, is a determining factor. You know, it would be almost fun, just coming off the top of my head here, sometime to have this almost like you and I have this debate, which is harder, 
a startup or a, or a turnaround? Because I started four church campuses, two schools, and now I'm starting a ministry. So I'm on startup number seven. Uh-oh, uh-oh. So I know a little bit about starting stuff up. And and even this little ministry of mine, which, you know, I thought, well, this isn't like these others. But you guess what? Got to meet with the attorneys. Got to meet with the accountants. Got to do all the same stuff. So there's enormous work, but I have to say now, honestly, as I've talked to friends who've had to do turnarounds and create comebacks in, say, churches, for instance, what you're saying, the messes that you have to clean up, whereas if there's messes in a startup, you created that, you know, you created them. And so you have to own that and go forward. But, you know, what's harder, turning something around or starting something from scratch? It's really, it would be a fascinating, you know, back and forth because I think you could make strong points on either end of that. Yes? Yeah, the point is for both of them, one of the variables is leadership. One is hard work, determination, vision. The third, and this is a this is the thing I learned in coaching and playing in athletics. You and I both were in our early days in athletics. A lot of people think momentum is some mysterious thing that falls on you like the limb of a tree. <laughs> you create momentum. Yes. You cause momentum. So you hear the guys in the press box say the momentum is shifted, like somehow or another the wind changed direction. You 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 actually have to take control of a declining situation and cause momentum incrementally. Yes. So you at at the you're down by thirty points at the half. You can't just pray for momentum to shift. You have to do something in the locker room. And what you say is, we can beat these guys. I'm not asking you for thirty points. I'm asking you. For a first down, give me 10 yards. If we can get 10 yards on these guys, we can get 100 yards. If we can get 100 yards, we can do it twice. If we can do it twice, we can do it three times. We can beat these suckers, but I need 10 yards. You get that 10 yards, you call a timeout, call them over and say, see, I showed you. I told you. Yeah, I would. Oh man, I would love to park on that uh, just because I I know I'm going to talk about that at your comeback conference uh in in june uh june 26th again atlanta georgia i i just believe so much in comeback and i know somebody that you know and i you you know and i know which is john maxwell and the first time i ever heard him say this it just it just resonated with me he said when you have momentum you're better you look better than you really are you know, it's like momentum, man. You can ride that. But again, it isn't like the wind shifting. That's an excellent analogy. Like, oh, the wind just shifted. Well, um, no, you, cre- you created for sure. So um, let's just jump to ORU. You know, again, y- you, do, you, you do something at Southeastern in, in a decade that's just unprecedented. And, you know, it's Florida. I mean, why don't you just stay there and ride it out into retirement? I mean, why take on a third comeback. Yeah, uh, evidently it was a psychotic moment. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I didn't intend to. I mean, uh, the idea of it just seemed absurd to me. Uh, they began to reach out to me. Obviously, you, you have a scandal at the school, financial scandal. The faculty had sued the president. The president resigns. The board resigns. You've got a major donor who has stepped in. But still, the donor isn't the president. They, now they've got to have, find executive leadership. So they're, they're reaching out to me through a, an executive search firm. And then the, pres- the chairman of the board himself is calling me and everything. And at first, the idea seemed absolutely ludicrous to me. Why would I leave something 
I, you know, it's about 10 and a half. It was just rolling, yes. Rick. It was rolling. Absolutely. There was not one single year in the 10 and a half years I was there where the enrollment was not greater than the previous year and no semester when it wasn't greater than the semester year over year. Yeah. So every January, it was better than the previous January. Every September, it was better. Can't beat that. So I felt like I was like Rush Limbaugh. I could run that university with half my brain tied behind my back. Then came this other thing, and I laughed it off at first. But gradually, I began to wonder, have I got one more rodeo in me? And, and it was my wife, actually. We were sitting one night in front of the fire, and she said, are you beginning to worry that this is God? And I said, <laughs> I, I said, I really am. And she said, me too. And then we just, when we opened up to it, it, it just became right. And I, I just thought my, my comfort zone was the size of Wyoming. And I just didn't want to come to that place. I was 61. I didn't want to come to that place where my comfort zone dictated my destiny. Okay. I, and it was high risk. That's yeah. the highest risk transition I made. Because if you flop at 41, you got a lot of runway left. If you flop at 61, you're finished. Yep. That's what everybody remembers. Yes. And, and so I was more nervous over going to ORU than anything I ever did. Okay. Um, and the furthermore, I didn't have a long time. I told the board at ORU I'll be there between four and six years. So knowing that then, you, you have to do... You have to do yes. it all fast. Yeah, let's, let, and how long did you end up staying? A little more than four years. Yeah, so you think about versus 10 years southeastern, you got to double your speed there to That's get right. stuff done. That's so right. what did you do? Well, again, the first thing was institutional reality. One of the major issues they were facing, I told the board, any businessman could see it, they were drowning in payroll. They were literally drowning in payroll. So as the brand new president, one of the first things I had to do was do a substantial riff. And wow. nobody likes that. You know, but you have to. We, uh, we could save the university with some of us or all of us continue working there and go under. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was literally as simple but as But again, that. you came into a situation knowing the first thing you're going to have to do is fire people. Something and let them go. uncomfortable. Yeah, that's, that's, wow, that's no fun. But that's what had to be done. So again, you made the hard call. Another, another part of leading a comeback is you're going to have to make some tough calls. Yes, absolutely. You, you are going to have to. Um, you, you have to make the hard call. You have to do it decisively. And, and then you have to, again, you have to quickly follow that with vision and leadership. You have to say, okay, yes, that was tough. We had to do that. But here's where we're headed. This is what's going to happen. You, that's that personal, I don't know what the charisma, leadership, that, that emanation okay. that you can't really teach but but I do think, Rick, that people can step into it a little more than they think they can. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't have to just be some natural thing, some personality gift. I think you can kind of square your shoulders back, straighten your tie, and and step out on the platform and say, so, Daddy, Daddy's home. All right. So then, and what what was the result there at RU? What did you do there? What what? Give me the comeback metrics on that one. All right. We paid off uh, at, at ORU when I went there. It made the debt at Calvary, which had been so intimidating, $17.5 million debt at Calvary. <laughs> the debt at ORU was $55 million. And in four and a half years, we paid off $55 million debt. 
We had $57 million of deferred maintenance because the previous administration for nearly 20 years had been cannibalizing their maintenance line out of their budget. So they didn't fix anything Wow! for 20 years. So we had $57 million. When I left ORU, there was not one dorm room that hadn't been renovated. We, we renovated the whole campus, everything, $57 million. And we built the first new building that had been built there in 35 years, $13 million student activity center, and we raised the money and paid cash. So when, so when I left, it was... $54 million of debt. Gone. $57 million of capital improvements, or let's say maintenance, Done. and then a $13 million capital improvement of a brand new building. So in, over in $100 million. Yes, uh, yes, uh, about $120 million. And so million. you must have raised the enrollment during that time period then. Yes, uh, and the enrollment took off then. And, and that was critical, of course. The disadvantage I had at ORU was they had been pricing at the top. Okay. So I didn't have the ceiling <laughs> that I inherited at, at Southeastern. Yeah. At Southeastern, I had a high ceiling okay. to start raising the money, raising right. the, the right. price. Yep. So we just had to keep the price pretty much where it was and increase enrollment with vision and energy and excitement. Oh, the, the, or, uh, the whole thing, ORU's back. Yeah, that's, you know, under new management. Well, you know, it's an incredible campus, as you know. The buildings blow away almost any other Christian campus. It's a really amazing place. So that you had going for you. But again, so, I, you know, again, I wish we could talk for hours, but that's what this conference is all about is for people. And again, not just to hear the stories, but to hear the principles in in much greater detail. So I'm really looking forward to it, Mark. I I am too. I think it's going to be great fun. Atlanta is a wonderful place to visit. No matter where you're listening to this from, come and join us in Atlanta. It's going to be live, no mask required, anything like that. It's going to be live. It's in a beautiful place, the Grand Hall, the Great Hall at Mount Perrin Church of God. Uh, It's going to be a great day. And uh, if you can live through my teaching, you get to hear Rick McDaniel. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't know about that. But it's going to be good. I mean, it's really going to be good. So, folks, again, uh, yourcomebackevent.com to go to the website to check it out. But we'd love to have you join us. I think it's going to be life-changing. And it's going to launch so many great comebacks in people's lives personally and professionally. Can't wait. Can't wait to meet you there, see you there. And again, Mark, thank you for joining us today on the Point of Impact podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Point of Impact podcast with Rick McDaniel. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.